and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Robotic. I'm your host, Nikki, and to all my listeners in 100 plus countries, welcome and thanks so much for joining us today. It's a great pleasure for me to introduce you to my guest, another beacon in the robotics community, Professor Salah Sukaray. Um, is a professor of robotics and intelligence systems at the University of Sydney and a CEO of Agris, a new ag tech startup company developing, developing autonomous robotic solutions to improve agricultural productivity and environmental sustainability. Salah, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Nikki. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. Um, I met you at a Cobots uh, conference last year, just as COVID hits, and just as we were chatting before I, I hit the record button, I've been on your hot on your trail since then, so I know you're an exceptionally busy man, and um, thank you, really honoured to have you here today. That's my pleasure, thank you. Now, it was, it, was a good, it was a good conference too, I think it was the beginning of that discussion around what it means around Cobots and, and, and that application from factories all the way out to the field, so it was an, it was an interesting conference. Yes, very. So you've had an extremely accomplished career. Um, what have been highlights for you? Um, I guess when, when you look back, you, there are many, many episodes. It's, you're right. It's been fortunate. I've been blessed with the whole process from, from beginning all the way through now. And, and uh, the big key factors have been just that engagement with industry, doing some really quality research and then how that gets engaged with industry. So Probably, probably on the academic front, there's been a few key moments where there have been some really great ideas that came out as algorithms, um, um, you know, starting off with the, you know, hardcore maths all the way through to the implementation. I think um, SLAM would have been one of them right at the beginning, 20 years, 25 years ago, when they were still scratching their head thinking, what, what does this algorithm mean and, and what would it work? And um, my team and I took it to that level where we wanted to implement it on drones. And so, that, you know, we're talking now six degrees of freedom, very fast moving platforms. How do you run slam on something like that? So I think that was a nice scholarly moment uh, back then. Um, and then leading into, uh, then I probably spent a large part of my career really interested in information theoretic control. So kind of the, the backbones behind how a robot would gather information intelligently. So understanding information, how that relates to its actions and then making informed decisions about what to do next. So I think that was some key scholarly highlights. And then I guess on a professional level, the engagement with industry, whether that was stevedoring, aviation, mining, agriculture, just, just being able to challenge yourself with how that comes across and, and working with industry and building teams around that. And, and I think that's probably the, the key thing when you look back at it, just the people that you've worked with both in the university as well as outside that has made that work. I think they, you know, they're all great moments, I think, in, in one's career. So you talk about SLAM and um, drones and things, and do you reflect upon it that what's suddenly now become like the new industry and everything you've been working with for years, and it's sort of just catching up to it now? Do you have a bit of a sense of that when you look at it? Yeah, I think there's, and it, but it's also a bit humbling as well because you kind of see that no matter, even in academia, you, 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 know, you kind of think of these really great ideas, but how long it needs to take in order to... Um, not only kind of go out there and, and gain industry acceptance, but then um, get to the point where it's operationalized in some way that it works and it's it's out of a box now, whether that's a Roomba vacuum cleaner that kind of runs around and you don't do anything other than run it on an app. While back then you had a team of, you know, you had a cast of 
a thousand just trying to figure out how to make this algorithm work. So I think looking back at it, it's, um, um, you know, it, it was, it was the challenges were there and, and you kind of um, uh, want to see it work. And we kind of touched on this just before the show about, you know, how big the robotics community is, you know, back then it was, there was 10 of us in Australia or something like that, you know, you kind of knew everyone. Um, there was 50 around the world and that was it, right? Everyone was, and, and that's how big that field robotics community was. And seeing it now and, and seeing how rapidly these algorithms come out, but it's still the same process. It, you're still scratching your head at the uni three, five years, and then it takes twice as long to kind of eventually get there out into industry working on a real system. And, and, I think, and that process still stays. So you've had over 500 publications and you're an expert in commercialization of field robotics. What do you consider to be your biggest achievement? Um, it's, it's an interesting because I think each project had had its uniqueness to it and it was something special about it. So, um, you know, the, like, so for example, the, the project that we had with Qantas was, was, was really significant because you're dealing with a, a big airline, you know, a global brand. Um, and uh, we were dealing with the percentages here, like the fractions of percentages here. How do you build a flight planning algorithm basically, that would save 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0.3% of the fuel burn over an international flight, which was huge when it came to fuel bill, but also mm -hmm. significant when it came to um, the environmental footprint. And, and to kind of, I mean, that, that was a nice process. That was, you could see algorithms then working and making a significant difference. And as we we're talking about, you know, making a big change where the following year, complete flight routes were changed, you know, based on the algorithms and, 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 and making that work. So that was, that was big. Um, agriculture was another one, but it was a longer, that's a longer journey. That's, and that's, that wasn't just let's build algorithms. That was let's build systems, let's build platforms. And let's also convince an industry that this is the way you need to go. And that's still going on. Right? So after, you know, and, and so that's a, con that's a continuous highlight. Every time you go out to the field and you see something working, you think that's, um, you know, it's really cool. Um, and, and it may be, and even just less known ones in, in, in the career, which were, which I think were nice, were just some, a couple of space rover programs that we've had with students going overseas to, to NASA and, and ESA and, and kind of working within those things, you know, things that are on the side. We never had a space agency up until recently, but they've just been little highlights that I think are, are less publicly known, but just as important. Listen, you, you, it's absolutely phenomenal, and my congratulations to you. And I'm sure you just, you know, haven't even touched the peak of your your career yet. You've got another at least thirty years in you. This is where you nod and say, "Yes, I do." Through <laughs> the energy is. <laughs> so, what other automation is being used to, to help in our in our labour shortage that you're aware of now? And we're going to touch on your your um, your company that you're the CEO and founder of. Um, Ajeras that's uh, that I mentioned and you've also been nominated as a finalist in the Australian Financial Review that I've just seen so congratulations on that as well so I've sort of thrown two questions at you there but uh, pick whichever one you want first yeah look it's it's always it's I mean I remember so I did my PhD was back in 97 eight, you know somewhere around then kind of thing I'm trying to remember and but even then Australian industry was very um, eager on automation um, so it's 
it's you know labor shortage or labor cost or labor skills is not something new at least in australia it's always been you know it's, it's been there since um well at least since we started field robotics so if i just focus on field robotics because obviously labor and automation around robotics can happen everywhere um, um but just just my experience has just been in that area of field robotics um yeah look it's it um you're trying to be internationally competitive you've got high labor costs and that's if you can find the labor. And so we're finding constraints, whether it was in mining, in agriculture, uh, logistics, um, uh, freight, um, uh, even, even in defense, you know, there, there's been lots of elements there around, um, around that element and agriculture being what I would, you know, probably the latest one that I can consider. Um, but, but the same story happens. We, um, as a, as the country, matures the nation matures when it comes to understanding technology more and more people move to the services area more and more people move into the cities but we still have a significant primary industry and and huge land mass uh, where a lot of things are still happening and and i think that's just driven industry to want more and more of this type of tech and 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 that's where we've seen uh, automation come in to deal with aspects around labor but, but now what we're also seeing is this trend towards an understanding that you need the automation to kind of get to that next level of efficiency and productivity when you've got environmental constraints that you need to deal with as well. And it's, it's interesting that the, the discussions that we've been having over the last you know, few weeks around you know, clean energy, green energy, or, you know, and saving the planet. And we, we've seen that with industry over the last 10, 15 years, where again, as we mentioned before, just playing with around with those percentages becomes so important. And it becomes a task beyond what humans can deal with. But we're not seeing the replacement of humans. We're seeing more of that automation and human activity coming together in some form, you know, um, whether it's in software or in hardware to try and um, uh, improve on those, uh, on those gains even further. And I think probably with COVID, this has been highlighted even more in Australia now, um, you know, with, especially in agriculture, we've got a whole sector of um, people that would normally support the, um, you know, harvesting of fruit that's not there anymore. So this is where automation actually becomes critical. Yeah, and, and um, but, but it's a good example of what um, uh, the kind of two things that I mentioned before. So yes, you're right. So COVID's kicked in, borders are closed both international and state borders. And so you, you not only have, um, inter, um, you know, the lack of labour coming in from overseas, but while, you know, people people were moving up and down, you know, the whole East Coast, moving with the season to try and deal with, you know, you know going from apple orchards from, from down south up to north and back down again. And, and so you've lost that, you've lost that capability. And so the farmers were feeling a lot of pain. Um, significant pain. COVID hasn't helped in the sense that the borders also stopped anybody doing automation properly across yeah. borders. You couldn't just go and go. Back yeah. and but but it's a, it, it's a topic that it's interesting because the first thing that you think about is fruit picking. But the moment you start to bring automation onto an orchard farm, then you start to see the potential for flower counting mm -hmm. or flower thinning. And that, imp that improves efficiencies and that reduces waste. Um, or identifying individual, so so it's not so you might come in because there's a labour issue, but all of a sudden across that whole value chain of what happens in an orchard, you can see the potential for sensing and and machine learning and robotics kicking through that whole process. So talk to us about um, how Jeris was actually uh, started. Like um, you were with the Australian Centre for Field Robotics, so like there was some um, collaboration there as well. 
Uh, how did it all evolve? Um, so yes, yeah, so it started probably back in two. Th so it's a long, It's been a long journey, and ag. And, and so the reason why it's been a long journey is ag is different from the other industries that I mentioned before because you don't have a major player that just sits there and goes, okay, you know what? We're going to do a ten-year strategic automation program. So there's no Rio Tinto. There's yeah. no contest. There's no. So what you have is um, maybe fifty, a hundred large family growing corporations followed by another five thousand mums and dads running around, you know, growing crops for us and food for us. Um, so it started back in 2005, again, with drones, um, just looking at weed detection. And that kind of got me introduced to farmers who then said, well, it's great that you can detect the weeds. Can you remove the weeds? So then moved to ground robots. And for about 10 years, there was lots of funding coming in from Hort Innovation, Grains, Meat and Livestock Australia, Cotton, to kind of just explore what does it mean to have robots on a farm? And that and we were able to kind of shift the idea from is it just a tractor that's automated through to let's build a whole new robot and start to think about solar, electric, precision tools, machine learning and running in real time. And that, that got the industry really excited and interested and that went on for about 10 years. But you couldn't just hand over the IP to an external party because there wasn't anything like that um, in, the, in the country. And you could do it for overseas, but then the Australian growers lost it. So it was a natural, it was a natural process to kind of go, well, let's spin the technology out. Let's let's give it a shot in the country and let's work with the Australian growers. And then if it scales and grows and it goes international, then that's great. You know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a good story. Um, but the, the primary focus was to to get the tech into the hands of the growers here. And, and so it was spun out in, in 2019. And we managed to get some great VCs who were able to kind of foot out the capital because it's an expensive proposal, right? You're building robots that have to work outdoors. Um, and, and, and it went from there. So, you know, we've been able to then kind of spin it out and get it going with the, with the growers. Um, and, we'll, and we'll see where it goes from there. So um, has this actually given you a new appreciation working with farmers when you look at the food on your plate and you go, like, I think for most people, we just go to the supermarket. You know, I think youngsters, maybe they're lucky if they know milk comes from cows. You know, like, I think they just think it's just there in the shops. So there, there's a whole industry backing, um, keeping Australians alive and well. Yeah. Uh, look, for me personally, it hasn't, it hasn't, my, my you know, I've always known how, you know, my, my parents actually came from a, a farming background, but overseas, but, and so, and I, I remember a couple of episodes going overseas and, and being on those farms and, and seeing what it was like. And then um, they, when they came to this country, they were always in the food industry. So I've always going out to the, the farmer's markets and, 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 and seeing that whole process from there. So I don't, for me, I, I always knew how hard they worked, but it's, but what I think I, I learned a lot and what, what I was really, um, what was I both initially very surprised by and then really fortunate to be able to work with these growers is they're also system thinkers. So just as roboticists, you have to sit there and think about how you're putting all this hardware and software together mm. and dealing with terrain interaction and, and, you know, meeting certain environmental standards and et cetera. You're talking to individuals who, who are in that somehow are managing to understand all the biophysical elements and, supply chain issues and business modeling issues and people and HR and safety and whatever. And they've got that all in their head somehow and they're dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and the guys that we work with, which are the veggie growers, 
So this is nonstop daily activity, you know, and then rinse and repeat the next techniques and do it again and do it again. You know, for each. And so it's, it's just quite amazing how they managed to do that. But it's been a very enjoyable journey because you've got both, you know, this, this is a classic cyber physical system where you've got systems thinkers on both sides thinking through the problems and it's uh, it's really interesting and 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 i'm i'm very impressed and and honored to be able to work with these growers i think these growers are actually um in a way very lucky to have you that's got this background because you're already familiar and you don't they don't need to explain to you the whole process that you've just described because you're already familiar with it so in terms of um the technology are farmers managing what impact has has it had on them yeah well so to, to go back on you that first point you made however that you know still a lot to learn right there's, there's, so, there's so much to learn right? so long, there's always lots to learn yeah there's so much to learn you, you know like down to even my new things such as what a particular disease does to a particular plant and then how would you how would you sense that and how would you pick that up? You know, it's, it's quite it's quite interesting and phenomenal. Um, how they've taken up? They look they they um, the, the, so they firstly you you know the, the impression that you might get, which is they're um, backwards on their technology or the, the idea that that might is not the case at all, right? So they're very cluey, but they're very practical. So they're sitting there looking at it and thinking, if they're kicking the tire on this thing and they don't like how it feels, and they don't like how it feels good, and the reason why is because they know what it's going, what's going to happen to it on, on farm. So it's um, um, so you have to, so you you've got to have, um, you got to be ready for some really really good criticism because you'll always get it, and and it's criticism because they want it, and it's constructive because they want it to work, yeah. and and that's the key thing. I think they they know I, there isn't a farmer that I haven't spoken to that thought you know this that they believe that this is the future. They know this is where it's going and they want to be part of that, that, that journey and that process. Um, but they're very practical um, in, their, in their mindset. They, they know what will work and what won't work very quickly, very straight, um, straight away. Um, and that's exactly what you want to be on your team, right? So you, you want that kind of advice and thinking because um, that's what's going to help speed up the technology. Um, putting it on farm, once, once they kind of feel that I think that you're on their side and that you're willing to make it work, then they open up their farm and they open up their people on their farm and they kind of introduce you into that process. And then they want to work out how best to kind of bring that technology into it. And they, they really go with your hand in hand in that. So they're very driven. You're dealing with individual, you're dealing with their livelihoods, their businesses, um, and um, any small, you know, all a robot has to do, as you can imagine, um, is lose its GPS signal and go across a paddock and then start ripping out crops from the ground and that's it. You ruin it. Yeah. You know, that's the last thing you want to do, right? So, so it's um, so they so you've got to be very careful of that. But they but they but they but they do take you on board. They bring you into their family and they and they take you on board. Uh, I, you you um, telling a story of like to the heart and soul of the people that you're dealing with. So I mean, it's a vested interest for you as well to make sure everything goes well. I. What is the cost involved in, in something like this for, you know, how do the farmers view it and they, they're happy to participate? Because I'm assuming there would be, it is costly. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for the initial 10, 12 years of R&D funding, which, which wasn't just reduces the cost of the individual componentry, but, but just for a roboticist to understand how to field a robot that has to work 10, 12, 15 hours a day 
seven days a week because they're operating seven days a week non-stop you know there might be a couple of weeks that you know things will slow down a bit but that's it that that's not that's not an easy process which is why you you know all the big tractor companies have been around for 50 100 150 years or whatever it might be you know doing so it is a, it is a difficult process to, to go through um so the the r d initially reduced that that whole cost of just that knowledge gain and field operations gain and, and what works and what doesn't work and then uh, with the investment, you can then come along and then say, okay, now I can take this field prototype and let me think about what it means to do a commercial prototype. So where do I register cost now on the componentry on the, on the platform? There are two types of farmers uh, that we're, well, probably three types of farmers that we're finding. There's, there's one group of growers where their futures heads spaces in the automation of the farm. And so they look at the robot as an asset, just like they'd buy a tractor. Um, and the going rate for these robots anywhere around the world at the moment now you can imagine is somewhere between 50 to $250,000. So anywhere, any type of robot, roughly speaking, whether it's orchards or veggie crops is, is going for that, that type of rate. And it just depends on the sensors. It depends on the equipment that they're using. There's only a few of them in Australia. There's only a few of them around the world of, of individuals that will be looking at it from that, from that perspective. Um, as I mentioned before, they're very, practical and they know that if they just wait the technology cost will come down mm. as well so that so they know that as well but it, what drives them is whether or not they need to work on automation of their farm now and say look at it as an asset and do i bring this asset in um, but the cost is not the platform the cost is who am i going to have on my team now that's going to run it yeah. Um, what do I do to the operations of my farm now to introduce this piece of technology? And so these, there are much more significant costs around just the asset that they need to worry about. So that's one group of grower. The other group of grower is more of the return on investment grower, the one that says, okay, per hectare, it costs me this to grow the crops. Um, what additional per hectare cost will this robot do? And what will my return on investment be um, in that? And then there's the third kind of grow which is probably the majority of growers um which which will be more of us um coming in as a consultant just like consultants go onto farms and um um uh, and and kind of uh collect, you know fly drones or something like that and, and collect that so be that type of um, majority. that second one so the second one which is return on investment per hectare is probably the more classic type that you find in australia and and most around the world and and really what you're doing there is an is an opex transfer so you're sitting there going well it costs you labor this much to weed per hectare this robot will cost you this much to weed per hectare yeah. and, and and it will do a better job and it will do it continuously and it'll do whatever it might be so so you're working out around that that range there and to, again if you're looking at dollars in the vegetable industry that could be anywhere from six hundred dollars a hectare up to three four thousand dollars a hectare depending on how much chemicals they use so if they're really organic they're up the up top end there's no chemicals you have to be weeding all the time and so it's four thousand dollars a hectare they're spending on labor costs around there so but the as you pointed out there before harvesting is much more labor um, intensive and that's really where the that's really where the costs are so in terms of the the robots that you are um, manufacturing are you doing it in australia or is it being um, you're doing it offshore no, no, so the, so the manufacturing is all done here. I mean, we don't have a electronics industry or sense industry, so you've got to purchase bits and pieces off yeah. the shelf, whatever it might be, but um, we design and build and integrate and field all the systems here in Australia. So you talk about the street smarts of these farmers, and I imagine they would be very, very cleary people, and this 
maybe old school thing that you think they're not connected to technology, I think is complete and utter rubbish. I think most farmers I've spoken to, they know exactly what's going on. Do you think this is the future of how we manage our land going forward? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's it's if if you if you take a bigger picture and say how does robotics help the environment, mm -hmm. you start from that perspective. You're going to start seeing drones and ground robots being used from everything from mine rehabilitation to pollution monitoring to pest detection to whatever it might be. Um, and then as you start to drill down and you start to get finer finer resolution down to the land management area and down to the farms where you start dealing with um, um, farmers just remember that they're businesses and they're going to do anything that they can to improve productivity efficiency and reduce costs just like yeah. any other business and the more we get into well i've got to do this more optimally i've got to use less chemicals i've got to worry about climate change and, and maybe climate change more specifically means that i've got to deal with extreme weather events one week after another so there's new pests new diseases new things coming through so anything that will help a farmer bring in more knowledge and allow them to act on that information quicker and more precisely is going to help. So if you can marry that with cheaper technology, more robust technology, whether that's sensors in the ground um, or, or sensors in the air or sensors in the soil, stationary, whether they're moving, the farmers will take it on. Um, but just as much as there's many different types of farmers, there's many different ag tech companies. So there's going to be a this consolidation on both sides that I think is going to happen before the tech will kind of really have a, 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 um, a daily impact on the farmer. So is this being filtered down in um, where they go to university and in, in, in their courses that they're doing? Is there like a robotic component that they're looking at already? That's a good question. The education element around this has been something that I've been interested in all the way through because to the... There was, there was never going to be sustainability if it meant that I had to give a farmer a robot out the back of Burke and I had to run it from the middle of the Sydney CBD. It just wasn't going to work. So sustainability of this type of technology, of this industry, to meet that industry meant that you had to do something around um, where, where the growers were growing food. Um, so I think it's happened on, on a number of levels. Personally, you know, it's been a travelling roadshow around the country nonstop which I've enjoyed, you know, you see, seeing parts of the country that you've never seen before, but meeting growers of all different walks of life and, and, and kind of, and the industries that they work in. But whether that's at conferences or talks or, 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 um, or, or land um, expos and events um, doing that, that's one level. The other level has been inside the university, there's been a lot of discussion around how do you bring together the ag sciences and the engineering sciences together um, as part of an education element. Uh, whether that's joint degrees, for example, or whether that's potentially, um, which is probably a bit more, in my opinion, which is 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 getting the ag sciences to learn more a lot, a lot more about the technologies themselves, because that's where the passion is in the ag, and if they can learn about the tech and how that comes together, so that's another another space. Um, in between all that, there's the what they call the extension and adoption programs within the industry bodies themselves. So, hot innovation, which might be collecting. Um, the resources for all of the hort industry or the grains research group, which might be collecting vulgar, will have an extension adoption process where they'll take the technology and then they'll take it onto field and they'll teach the growers how to run these things. And the and the final areas, we, you know, we I've been doing some work, you know, funded by New South Wales government in particular, which was 
um, uh, to actually take ag robots and put them at schools in the rural areas, along with a curriculum that you know deals with the Australian curriculum, where kids then would learn about robots and AI and machine learning, but in an agriculture context, because they will be the the next generation of, of growers that will kind of adopt to this technology a lot more easily yeah. and, and use them on farm. So, that, so it's a multi-pronged attack, uh, um, approach at being able to look at how you might educate the industry. Yeah, and it's a move, it's it's actually a behemoth beast. Like you've just like pointed out in all the, the different um, groups of people that actually need to collaborate. How has this been happening between universities now that um, have you got universities that contact you for any um advice in the in this field yeah no it's been there's been lots of discussions and 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 meetings and there's been events you know where where this you know where they've asked me to kind of talk about not just the r d but then what does it mean to translate that r d out and 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 what does it mean to commercialize it um and agriculture is probably one of the hardest areas to do that because farmers you know the farm businesses aren't large margins they're not you know they don't make squillions and 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 think that they can just reinvest it back in the tech and as i said before there's not a single entity out there that would sit down and go let's just automate so you've got to deal with many different growers again their livelihoods um and small margins and so it's a hard process to look at translation of research and so robotics is probably one of the hardest ones but we, you know we started a while ago um and and what you're seeing now is a greater awareness within universities there's lots more there's a lot more um, incubators happening now that are trying to look at universities and say let's translate out the ag tech from there um, and dealing with with growers growers are becoming a lot more the industry is becoming a lot more aware of the space now and so knows where to find what universities or what r&d groups to to look at translation research but the translation research now is becoming a lot more specific now we're talking about an individual sensor and, yeah. or an individual algorithm it's not like robots now or just sensors in general yeah so um in terms of our, the work being done in australia how do we compare to other countries doing ag tech robotics um so we we started out and we were following behind so like if so 10 years ago uh, we were starting to see some ag robotics happening in other countries in the us and europe in particular and the growers here were, were kind of saying, what are we doing? Given that we have the highest labor cost in the world and, you know, we have to compete and 70% of our export, 70% of our production is export. How do we compete against that, et cetera? I think when this, within the space of about five years, I don't, not only did we catch up to the rest of the world, but we were leading it. So um, the benefit of being in a country where you had already automated mining or stevedoring or whatever, and being able to quickly translate that across to agriculture was 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 quite significant and so you know i so in that space i so right at the beginning i was you know you weren't you 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 weren't believed that you would be able to put a robot on a farm and it, in five years you were then being sent around the world to give talks about what we were doing in australia um for that so, so i think that's that's grown very quickly and we're seeing now the potential but i think the the probably the unfortunate thing that we're going to i think face in australia is the lack of capital to truly try and accelerate the tech. So you, I think that's probably going to, and I don't think that's just a, a robotics thing. I think that would be a, a sensors thing um, or any other, any other hardware, any other physical element that has to deal with farm. You need some quite extensive capital to help it. Software wise is probably a different story, 
but but you need some extensive capital to kind of support that process and and the, and that's probably where you need to start looking overseas to get that capital but that also mean, may mean moving overseas with the technology to kind of get that going and that's probably a bridge that we have to work on as, as a nation yeah i think so i think the capital um australia is a phenomenally wealthy country so long as you all know it's it's just not as not diverted to robotics and there is a big problem in that space but we're not going to focus on that today because we'll sit here the whole day nutting <laughs> this out and bashing our heads so how do you think robotics you've been in this space now many years how do you think it's evolved um across robotics or the whole space now in Australia? I think when, when, so there was probably a couple of things. When, when I first started out, um, the cost of the technology was 80 or 90% of any project and 10% was the salary cost of the engineers. Yeah. Now it's just completely opposite. So that changes and that, that is an indication, I think, of what's happened in, in the robotic space. When we first started out, it was just hard enough to figure out how to make a robot navigate 10 meters without bumping into anything. Yeah. Um, and, and, so, and then you can imagine trying to even um, put it on a 60 ton vehicle and the safety issues that you had to worry about. So everybody in a team was focused on the whole system. Um, and, and as I mentioned before, you, you know, and that was 10% of the cost of the program. The rest of it was just, you buy a GPS receiver and that was half your salary budget for the year and you know and yeah. kind of, what's happened over time obviously is things become a lot more specialized so so back then 10 people now there's 500 1000 robotics engineers around the country 2000 i don't even know and and what it is around the world but things are now becoming a lot more specialized and things are becoming a lot more quicker yeah. um, and i think that's also expectation management has changed as well so there's an expectation that a robot will work straight away off the bat as you go out and we still haven't kind of reached that yet so i think that's that's one one element another element is just the the, the level of intelligence that a robot has gained over the years just with better machine learning algorithms better optimization algorithms and i think that will have a significant play over the next few years as we start to bring more robots closer to humans and then that human machine interaction element and, and what that means around algorithms and, 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 and co-learning as well as co-action spaces that are happening. I think that will, that there'll be a, a big paradigm shift again, I think over the next few years when, when that starts to happen. Um, but I think it's specialization, rapid development of the technology, um, which changes very quickly. Um, and the reduction in cost, I think, is, is a big element that have changed over the last 10, 20 years. Yeah. And I think, I'm sorry, I should point out, and that's also opened up new business models. So yeah. new, new research models and new business models in terms of what you need to do. So is there anything we aren't doing that you think we should be doing? Um, I, I think, you know, was, um, when, when you asked me about the highlights question, I was kind of reflecting back and I thought, you know, the, you know it's one of those things when you when you gain a lot of, when you gain knowledge and, and experience, you kind of get to see what you think will work and not work over the next few years. But that's different to when I first started out when everything was exploration. You know, it was just like, it was so cool just to kind of think of an algorithm that had never even been thought of before. And you kind of get to put that on an out on a bot that hasn't been ever built before. And you kind of, okay, you know, how to, you know, we don't even know whether it's going to, so do, you really did feel like you're a bit of an adventure at the time to try and see what was going to happen next. And I think we need to kind of, in Australia anyway, um, still 
still come together as a, as a group because it was the only way back then that we could compete against the US or Europe was, was to bring the, the minds together from the university industries around the country. You had to pull the ideas together, pull the funding to that. And I think we need to keep focusing on that, but think about what that next big thing is going to be. And, and, and I would say that, you know, uh, you know, um, as we talk, you know, well, as we started, for example, cobots. So how do humans and machines and how do many humans and many machines come together um, and work together is, is probably a big area that hasn't really been touched yet. And I think that's going to open up a whole bunch of areas around materials, soft grippers, um, novel machines, new algorithms, and how that fuses with humans. And I think that's probably a space that, again, if we you know do the same thing we did 10 years ago in terms of coming together on, I think it's, it'll be a big area in the future. So Laura, I'm mindful of your time and um, I hope um, sending you these questions is it's given you time to reflect on the absolutely amazing work that you've actually achieved in this uh, industry. I know people such as yourself who are extremely busy don't always stop and go, my goodness gracious, did I do all of that? But I, I hope it did give you a little bit of a pause to think about your career. And um, yeah, my absolute congratulations to you. Like uh, you just, um, I'm a little bit of a fan girl. So I've already spoken to Salad, you know, about him. <laughs> so, you know, um, in closing, is there anything that you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, I, th I think just, uh, you know, I think the, for me, the, the it depends on you know, the audience is on different levels, I'm sure, in, in terms of who are listening. You've got a large fan base as well listening to your podcast. So there's probably a, a lot there. But I think the, you know, we, if I, when I was reflecting over the whole journey, um, think big. Um, it's a, a great country where, you know, a lot, you know, the, the, I think that one of the key things about it is how we all come together on under big challenges. And I don't, I didn't want it to kind of sound like a, a cliche or anything, but we do, you know, the, the country's ripe for wanting to kind of deal with, in, in our case here with automation out in the field, doing big things. And I think there's still a lot of opportunity there. And I think there's a lot of opportunity, at least in this country, for that next big wave. And if I can kind of catch what's latest on the headlines around cleaning up and greening up the, the, the country. And I think robotics and automation has a big play in that, you know, as we optimize them for them to, for the robots themselves to become cleaner and greener for what they can do on the land, um, I think is also a big thing. And I think there's lots of potential and opportunity there. So where can people uh, contact him? If you're not following him on LinkedIn, that's definitely one of the places, but um, is there an email address that I can put out? Yeah, just, just my name at sydney.edu.au. Okay, so you've got a bit influx of um, um, emails from this podcast. I think that can only be good news for you. So, so Lara, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I'm sure our paths are going to cross again. And I hope you have a lovely day. Uh, pleasure's all mine, Nikki. Thank you. Thank you. And to our audience out there, um, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a fantastic day. And please join me again next week for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. Mm -hmm.